be going over God's really top 10 principles for healthy relationships. And they are found in the Ten Commandments. And I want to, I think this is, I know this is really vital and important because when we were in Africa, several of us on the team woke up every morning saying, I had the weirdest dreams. I mean, they were, we thought it was the malaria medications we were taking. Um, we thought different things, so I quit taking mine. <laughs> I feel fine now, but I, if I get malaria later, I guess I'll know why. <laughs> but anyway, that was poorly said and wrongly done, out of time. It was ill-timed and not good. I was, I'm not a comedian, so I'm not trying to put one over on you. But I, I recognize that I believe that there are spiritual undertones in this world. The Bible calls them spiritual strongholds in places. And we have the power to demolish those strongholds. But the thing that was so interesting about the dreams that we had in Africa, I, I believe dreams mean things. I'm not going to go into great. some suit. Don't come to me tomorrow in the office and say, Pastor, I had this dream. Will you interpret it for me? I'm, I'm not Daniel, okay? But nonetheless, I believe that they mean things. And I, I believe that the spiritual strongholds that are predominant in the culture in Africa where we were are different than they are here and I'm less bothered here unfortunately I think because I'm familiar with them I believe this is the great mask and hood that has been pulled over the eyes of the believers in our area that's why the ground in the Northwest is so stony and hard, less churches per capita than anywhere else in the United States. And as I was thinking about this and going, God, what would you have for us to do as a church? I believe that there, are, there is one predominant thing that God has to say in all of it, and that if we as a church would return to him as priority, then we would begin to see things happen. And we're doing that as a staff. We're doing that. In, this, in fact, this next week, church tomorrow, 11 o'clock, 11 minutes at 11, if you can tune in to Facebook Live, we're going to be doing a Facebook Live on the sermons each week, every day, me, Pastor Josh, Pastor Pete, 11 o'clock, Monday through Thursday, so far is what we have set up. And it'll be on there for you to look at later. But I believe God wants to really speak to us. And so you'll forgive me if I go past the 1130 beat the Baptist to the buffet thing. It's probably not going to happen. God's 10 principles for healthy relationships are really important. Last time, last week we spoke about the two judgments that God has. The judgment seat of Christ, which is for every believer. Now, who you believe in determines where you spend eternity. But how you believe and how you build your life determines how you'll spend eternity. Jesus said very clearly, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He didn't say, store up treasures in heaven so we could finish paving the streets of gold. Paul also puts it in context that godly living in this life is of maybe some benefit, but for the eternal value, it is of great benefit. We also saw last week that God will give to each one of us personally a reward. We are given a reward in the eternal for what we do in the temporary. That is the drive for the Christian to live a godly life. And through these 10 things that God has to say to us, through the 10 commandments, as they're well known as being called, are things that 
But I believe and I know that God says, I have a priority for these, not only in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, but the spirit of the law to be fulfilled through us as a New Testament church. So God's 10 principles for healthy relationships, the 10 commandments, they're more than just rules. God is the first one to top the 10 list. The 10 commandments are actually about relationships, all of them. The Bible calls them Ten Commandments in three different places. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 28, it says, So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He ate neither bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Then you'll also find them in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. So the main principle behind the commandment is this, and this is what we want to grab this morning, is the word priority. The priority. So I want to start by asking you, what are your priorities? How can you tell what they actually are? The big three questions that will help us discover what our priorities are are questions I've asked in the past of you and asked of myself constantly. I never preach at you. I'm preaching always at me. Keep that in mind. Do you give the first, the best of your time to God? Do you give the best of your time, not the most of, but the rest of, or, but the best of, excuse me, we all know that the most of our time is either at work, maybe even sleeping, I don't know. But the best part of your day belongs to God. The psalmist says over and over again, early will I rise to meet with the Lord. I will meet with God. Early in the morning I will rise to meet with him. Early morning I spend in God's presence before anything transpires, he says. Why does the writer say that? Because when we get up every day, whether it's in the morning or we work swing, if, if it's in the afternoon or the evening, Whatever our work schedule may be, the best part of that day, of that moment, is when we first get up. The moment of our conscious decisions, the directions of our life for the day, is when we wake up. God doesn't want our leftovers and hash. Remember hash? How many of you ever had hash at home? Mom just kind of threw all the leftovers for the week in a pan and put a little cheese, maybe a little salt and pepper on it, and it had peas and hamburger meat and noodles, and, and all ours, I know, it was called hash. And it, you put it all in a pan, and you cook it up, and we had hash the next day. Some have called hash the, 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 the diced up ham with the, with the potatoes and, you know, leftovers and hash is what we would call it. I loved it. I thought it was great. Put a little salt on anything, mm, perks right up. Good for the hardening of the arteries, right? The best part in that moment, the best part of waking up is Jesus. Those moments are a priority for us. That means God deserves it. Do you give God the best of your time? Consider to what you give the best and first of your time to. Is it good? Do you give God the first and best of your money? Uh-oh. Now we're meddling here. You've heard it said, show me your bank account and I'll show you what your priorities are or your values. It's very true. Now, we know that having a place to live takes a big part of our income and our money and our food and our transportation, these are all important. Again, not the most of your money, but the best of your money. Do you give the tithes and offerings that are reaffirmed by Jesus in Matthew chapter 23? And Paul says to give to the work to the support of the ministry in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We believe in doing this. The best part of, the first part of your income belongs to God. It doesn't go to your vacation. It doesn't go to your savings account. It goes to God. It's not a ploy to make the pastor get rich. Our church is on a budget. I get a certain salary commensurate with other churches of, of pastor of my tenure and the size of church and all of that. It's all budgeted out, right? It's all the same. But 
our giving is in response to God's command. It's not so much about money as simply obeying God. Scripture says that when we do God's will, as he says it, he will open up the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing so much that we won't be able to contain it. More than providing for the financial needs of his children, God blesses abundantly in many ways. Consider who or what gets the best of your money. Is it God? Thirdly, on what or whom do you give the first and best of your affection to? It's so easy to pour out so much affection on people and things in this life. God, our Savior, though, our loving and perfect creator and Savior, deserves the first and best of all of our affection. That means worship, right? If you are a human being, you understand this, right? If you've been married or had kids, you understand this big time, right? I mean, it's easy to pour out our affection on your children or your spouse, but, you, you do, you give, uh, but do you give the first and the very best of your affection to God? Do you treasure his words to, uh, to, to you and tell, and tell him what's going on in your life? Do you speak to him? Do you read the scripture and hear his voice by the Holy Spirit? Is the first and best of your affection given to God? Consider to whom you give the first and best of your affection to because that is your God. Consider whom you give the best and first of your money to because that is your God. Consider whom you give the best and first of your time to because that is God. The Ten Commandments, though, are about relationship. And the priority of it is, and I'm going to say this over and over again, if God is first, everything else will take care of itself. My dad always said that as a kid. Take care of the small stuff, Larry, and the big stuff will take care of themselves. That's what you tell someone who wants to succeed in life, right? Make your bed. Do what you're told. Follow instructions. And what happens, those in authority see the character quality in your life and you succeed in life. God do this. God's the one that set it up. Way before that Tony guy with all the teeth said it. The Ten Commandments are about relationship. The giving of the Ten Commandments is God is a God of relationship. Adam and Eve were created for relationship. The children of Israel is all about relationship with God. He redeemed you and I for relationship. You can find the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy 5. We're going to read from Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1. Uh, If you want to follow along with me, you have Bibles in the seats in front of you or a fake one on your phone or on the screen behind me. There's lots of ways to look at it. Exodus 20, verse 1. It's not fake. It's still the Bible. It's still the Word of God. Amen. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. I want us to notice a very important key here, a word that God says, I am your God. That's relational, right? He speaks to them from relationship. He reminds them that he brought them out of Egypt because of relationship, that he was their God. He was the one. I am the one, he says. I'm the one that got you out of slavery for relationship. And he did the same for us. He redeemed us, friends, out of slavery and sin and real life in Christ. Romans 6, 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that, he would, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. He has redeemed us. Why? Because of relationship. We were all slaves to sin. He pulled us from slavery. Then we look back at the Ten Commandments and we find ten principles that will deepen our relationship with God and one another. 
This is how we need to view the Ten Commandments. I think most people look at them just as a set of rules. And the reason they're removed from places of law in our nation today by those who are they're really upset about the verse 4, not the rest of them. Here's the big idea. You're, you and I, we both determine the depth of our relationship with God. And if we are storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven, that means that is really important that we have relationship with God and it is ongoing and it is working. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 18, look at what this says. God says immediately after he gives the Ten Commandments, he gives all the Ten Commandments and look at what he says in verse 18. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and Moses and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen but do not let God speak to us lest we die they were afraid to them at this point God was this ominous being right why because friends the flesh always dies in the presence of God the flesh always dies in the presence of God look at verse 20 Moses said to the people, he responds to them, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. When the Bible says fear of him uh, before you, it, it, is, it, it means the same as honor. I, I'm not dissing the power of fear. It is powerful. But the reaction of their fear is honor to God. Because they experience in that moment, they're going to give God honor, that, that you may honor God by these commands. Now look at verse 21. The people stood far off. Moses drew near. They're going back. Moses is going in to the thick darkness where God was. Moses went closer. He was determined to have a deeper relationship with God. People determine if they want to have a relationship with God or not. Think about the people's reaction compared to Moses' reaction. Moses wanted more. The people said, okay, Moses, you go ahead. You experience deeper relationship with God. But as for us, just tell us what it's like and we'll believe you. Think about that for a moment. I wonder how similar that is in our lives. In many churches, maybe even today. Go ahead, pastor, or go ahead, leader. You meet with God. You hear from God. You get this powerful word for us. We'll come on Sunday just to hear it, but we don't want to meet with God lest we die. Let me tell you, friends, God is about relationship. That means he is not just for the pastor. He is not just for the leader of the church or the worship band or those who are up front leading in prayer or, or the super spiritual ones that seem to be in church. There's nothing wrong with those people. I'm not saying that they're not. But friends, God is for you. He is for me. He is in relationship, desiring relationship to have with us. The flesh, though, has to always die in the presence of God. Maybe that's why we're a little leery. We come to God and we say, God, I only want to go so far with you. I'm only willing to commit so far. But Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That means we must be serving the Lord. That means we have something, some reward that God is going to give us. I'm not saying it's about you. You're not earning salvation. It's by grace you're saved. But like we saw last week, some are going to make it by the skin of their teeth as through the fire because the fire is coming. It's true that we die in his presence. That's good because... 
Christ lives in us, then we are able to crucify those desires. Why? Because we're storing up for ourselves those eternal riches. We're becoming more like Jesus. They, they said we want to determine the depth of our relationship. We, wanted to, we want a relationship with God through you, Moses. And it's so interesting. In fact, Scripture talks about the difference in the depth of relationship between Moses and the children of Israel in Psalms. Psalm 103, verse 7. Look at the difference as delineated in the relationship with God. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Notice the difference? Known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The children of Israel knew what he did. Moses knew why he did it. Moses understood the ways of God. He just didn't see what God did or his acts. Do you want a relationship based on thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, friends? Or do you want to have a relationship with God where you understand why he gives the command? Why he calls you to live and to do the things that you're called to do. Why he calls you to live a holy life. Why he calls you to pursue him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Why he calls you to give. Why he calls you to serve. Why he calls you to do all those wonderful things. This is the reason right here because he has a purpose behind the command. And Paul says that it may go well with us. Amen? Because God knows what we need. He's a loving father. Like telling his son or daughter not to touch the hot stove because they will get burned. To the child, it looks like another thing to do or to play with. You know, little boys, my kids, switching the light on and off for good grief. I remember Brandon one time when we, were, we went to McDonald's once. I don't go to McDonald's anymore. God forbid. But anyway, we were in McDonald's, right? And we're standing there, and there's this light blinking. And it was just blinking red, off, red, off. He said, Daddy, what's that? said, well, it's a blinking light. Why is it blinking? Well, I don't know, because it goes on and off. But why does it go on and off? I said, well, it's monitoring something or telling the people there. To, but why does it have to do that? I mean, the question's never stopped. It was just one thing after another, and he was still pondering why the light was blinking. Someone should turn it on or turn it off, right? I am so glad that our Heavenly Father sees us as his children. And he can give us instructions and answers to those questions. He says to worship God only. In verse 3, he says, you shall have no other gods. Then he clears it by saying, before me. I mean, why would he even need to say that, right? You shall have no other gods. But he says, before me. Why does he do that? Because they had just been in Egypt for 430 years. And Egypt had more gods than any society or culture that ever has been. They were polytheists. Poly meaning many, and theists meaning gods or belief in a deity. So they had 29 main gods and 2,000 lesser gods. So they were filled with all these false gods. So God was saying, because he had a people that came out of Egypt, he was saying, have none have no other gods. They had been living with these people that were polytheistic and had all these gods constantly around them. No other gods at all, he says. The word before, you shall have no other gods before me, is translated over a thousand times. It also means besides me. In other words, you shall have no other god beside me, 
no other God behind me, no other God in my face, no other God in the shadows, no other God in the corners, no other gods like me, no other gods that like me, no other gods against me, no other gods that are for me, no other gods than me, none. In Isaiah 45, 5, Scripture says, I am the Lord, there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. Now, blurry that with the American culture gods. Atheism of God is supposed to have reason and unproven science, really. Islam, the God of wrath without grace, lots of gods. Christians bow at the feet of worry all the time. Before that God, we feed it. We, we give the best of our life and the strength to others before God. So when God says, you shall have no other gods before me, he doesn't seem, mean just simply put me first. He means put me only. Not just first, but only. I am your only God. Many, I believe, want to follow Jesus, but also check our horoscope, the God of mysticism. Christians want to go to church, but can't survive without our entertainment during the week. God says, give me the first of your money and your affection. It is Satan's ploy, friends, to get Christians and Christian people bound heavily in habits that are not Christ-like so that the gods continue to be fed. Now, I know this is hard preaching, and I'm not trying to scare you this morning, but I think that this is very important for us to understand. God was making a statement with Israel, and the spirit of the law for us today to derive as a New Testament church is the very same thing. What do you have that is in front of Jesus? When he says, have no other gods before me, he means no other gods, no second gods, no third or fourth gods. I am the only God. You will have no other. And since you just came out of Egypt, you should have no other God besides me as well. What is he saying? He's saying it seems pretty clear that he gives us a principle for living, doesn't he? He is speaking about relationship. He is saying, I love you. I want to be your only. The Ten Commandments are about relationship. If we think about this last six of them, five through ten, honor your father and mother, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't bear false witness, don't covet, those are about our relationship with each other. But these first four are specifically about our relationship with God, and they are the first four. God puts it in such perspective for us. When God says to have no other gods before me, he's helping us to define the priority of our relationship. He is helping us define things that are first. When he is first, all other relationships can be enjoyable and productive. He's... The, the idea, overwhelmingly, simply is put God first. So what's really first place in your life? Let's dig a little bit. Not that you want to, or that I want to, but let's do that. When they went to the promised land, God said, bring all the silver and gold from Jericho into the house of, house of God. Why? Because Jericho was the first city. Jericho was the first place that they encountered. He said, when your sheep has the firstborn lamb, sacrifice it to me. He didn't say, when your sheep has 10 lambs, wait until you have 10, then give me the one. He didn't say that. He said, when your sheep has the first lamb, give me the first one. He said, when you have the, the harvest, give me the first fruits. Don't wait until you harvest everything and then give me 
one part of it. Give me the first part of it. Not the middle, not the last fruit, but the first fruit. He says, don't pay all your bills and see if you have enough. Give the first fruit and I will provide for your needs. Uh Uh-oh, we're in dangerous ground now. We talk about children or, or marriage or money. We're in trouble. This is a principle throughout Scripture. This only works if we put God first. He says, put me first. Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you, given to you. First, in 1 Kings chapter 17, Pastor Josh preached from this a couple weeks ago. But there's a famine in the land. But God is providing for Elijah. Elijah's sitting beside a brook, and everything's nice and wonderful. Well, the brook dries up. God's bringing him food every day, too, by ravens. Ravens are bringing this food, and and the brook dries up. So God says, I want you to go to Zarephath. There's a widow there that will provide for what you need. He sees her and tells her to give him some bread to eat. And so let's read this. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the first Kings 17, a powerful illustration of priority. First Kings 17, let's pick up the reading in verse 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the city gate, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, and this is the important part, as the Lord your God lives, your God, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. That's pretty awesome outlook on life. Verse 13. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first, notice the word first. First make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. Wow. And afterward, there's another big word, make something for yourself and your son. In other words, first feed me, meet my needs first, and then afterward, make something for you and your son. Verse 14, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. There's some questions I think I want to ask from this account in history to principally apply for us in our priority today. Number one, do you put God first even when you don't feel like it? You see, God sent Elijah there to provide food for Elijah, but God also sent Elijah there to provide food for this widow. She only had one meal left, and they were ready to die. We know she didn't feel like doing it because she tells him, my son is going to die, me and my son. This is all that there is. We don't feel like doing this. I don't want to do it. There's a famine. We are all alone. There's no other, there's no man around. Nobody's here to help us. 
The, 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 the community I live in apparently can't help. She has some pretty good reasons, right? I mean, she's, she's not saying she's going, not going to do it because she's lazy. She's not saying she's not going to do it because she's busy. She says because it is everything that she has. But Elijah said, put God first and watch what happens to your flour and oil. There was a man in our church not that many years ago who served here for 10 years. And he was uh, a single soldier and uh, was in the reserves. That's all he had. That was his only income. And once a year, I was given some um, of our giving records to sign because um, he served with us for a while. So those on the board couldn't sign. I had to sign his giving record. And I only do a few of those for people that sign my own. So I got to look at it, and I was blessed because he was our biggest missions giver, and he made the least amount of money. I, he, he gave everything he could, every extra, every nickel, every, it was refined to the nickel, right? And I'm using money as an illustration just to say that God not only took care of him, God blessed him abundantly, and today uh, God gave him a great inheritance. And, and, and I, I, I just am amazed at how God does things when we put him first, even when we don't feel like it. Maybe you don't feel like it. I want to let you know something. The Bible tells us clearly, and the wording is very important, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, Jesus says. He doesn't say where your heart is, that's where you're going to put your treasure. Come on. Your investment draws you in. Your giving makes you compelled to be involved. When you commit and you give something, you are saying to your heart, hey, respond. Because we don't always feel like it. We don't always feel like it. I'm uh, that 120 bucks this week that, that I'm gonna, I could give for tithe. I think that I'm going to go out to dinner a couple times. I need that money for this or that. Or, but you know, we never see the things that God provides. And I can't tell you the number of times I could line the people up on this platform that could give testimony in this room about how God's provided. And it's not just about money. I don't want to get distracted with that. I, it's easy to talk about because it's an easy illustration. But our life, God put God first. Another thing about this widow that's so interesting that compels a question is, number two, do you put God first even though no one else is? The widow was surrounded by many others suffering the same situation that she was in. And I'm certain there were others just like her in her situation. I mean, right? She's in that same village, but among all of them, she is the one that gave God first, even though no one else seemed to be doing it. There's no logical explanation for going against the flow here. She had what she had, and there was not enough for anyone else. Many of those around her they weren't given this opportunity, but yet God chose her and Elijah to provide for the need. I'm sure she must have seemed like Noah, preaching while building a boat for 100 years. No one else cared. No one else is believing. No one else is interested. But here she is, not succumbing to peer pressure. Friends, all of our friends may say and do and act like that, but when we take a stand, we're standing in the Lord. We're standing in his strength. No matter if anyone else in church or anyone else in culture is doing it, when we take a stand, when we give God first, when we do it even though no one else is, I mean, that's right. That's God pressure. Peer pressure is fear pressure. Thirdly, another question I think we can really come from this is, do you put God first in times of plenty and in times of want? 
There's two things I think many of us do when putting God, dealing with God being first. The first is we may, there may be things that we are going through in life and when things are good, things are easy, it's easy to serve the Lord. We pray, we give and serve, we, we're faithful to God's house and, and give to him the best of our time, our money and affection. But secondly, that to be like maybe this widow, we only put God first when things are really bad, when there's, when there's more month than there is money or the car dies or the family faces severe trials. And then that is the, the time when we're at the, our most desperate. It seems like that's the only time we cry out to God. But often what happens is that when times get good again, we go back to our old habits and live the old way and forget what it's, it's like to put God first. And, and friends, God deserves the very best of our time. He's never second place. The principle of have no other gods before me means to put Christ first in all you do. Why? Because it's all about relationship with God. This command is given out of love. It's not given out of harshness or hatred for you and I. It's given out of a, 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 a God that is love. The Bible says that God is defined. God is love. And that, that when his heart is poured out through these commands, he says, put me first, he's talking about the relationship he wants to have because of love. When someone is that important, you, you put them first. They're first in priority in your life. The power of this is that when we put God, we make him first, he takes care of all of the rest, right? Seek first the kingdom and all, not some, but all. Don't be under life's worries and trials any longer. Don't let them crush you. That's Satan's plan, right? Put God first and he'll take care of the rest. What's your need today? Is God your priority? Is God put first? Are you without direction in life? Put God first. Do you need provision? Put God first. Do you need healing? Put God first. Do you need wisdom? Put God first. Need peace in your storm? Put God first. Have no other gods before me. The only one, the only savior, the only healer, the only provider, King Jesus. Now I know what it's like to be a little bit older and it seems like when we get a little bit older, it's harder to start new habits or it's harder to start a new direction in life. I have found, and I'm sure you have too, if you've had a high school reunion, the people that were the way that they were in high school seem to be the same way that they are 30 years later, 40 years later. You know, it's just the way that it is. Now, there are some that have changed and I find that it is because they have a relationship with God the most or some other tragedy, unfortunately, has happened in life that changed their perspective. But in general, overall, it's because of relationship with God. So I know that when I'm saying this this morning, because my heart beats as someone who may be a little older, I know how hard it is to change your system of thinking and doing and start something new tomorrow. Because we might leave church this morning feeling all excited and say, I'm going to start two hours of prayer every morning. It'll last one day. <laughs> I'm going to start putting God first this morning by starting to give as I know he's called me to give. And you might lose that fire. So there's this thing that God gives us called the church. Church. 
to refine one another, to encourage one another, to put God first. We were, uh, Pam and I took a trip this last week on a little vacation, and, and she, we were sitting on the beach, and we were reflecting, and we were talking about all these things, and she was telling me some flattering things, and I was getting kind of, you know, things that you don't need to know. <laughs> you know, and I was telling her some flattering things, and she was getting all twittered, and heart fluttering, I think. I don't know. I'm just joking, but it was, it was quite meaningful. Something about being at the ocean makes you kind of reflecting and, you know, that kind of thing. But I think about the priority in that relationship in marriage. And Jesus says, unless you hate your father and mother, sons and daughters, I mean, your love for me should make your love for them seem like hate. He's not saying hate them. He's saying, you should love me so much more. Is God first? That is our priority. That's the first in this series. And that's the baseline for everything. Let's pray about it, shall we? Worship band, come. We're going to sing that song, Lord, I need you, Lord, I need you. We're just going to wait on the Lord for a few moments. Jesus, thank you for your grace this morning. Thank you for everyone that's in this room how we love and honor you today. Would you stand to your feet? And um, as you are standing, would you reflect on maybe the things that God is challenging in your heart today about him being first? And would you just begin in your own way just to begin to offer those things to the Lord? Say, Lord, there have been things in the way. I have put other responsibilities in the path. I have gotten distracted. Lord, I want you to be first. Would you just pray that with me right now, Lord?